In today's complex business environment, professionals are increasingly expected to collaborate and problem-solve with peers across all disciplines. For this episode, we visited a class that's focused on preparing students for this reality. Analytics in Action is a masterclass where MBA candidates and engineering students work together in small teams to solve real-life business concerns for top-tier business partners. It's definitely a unique class and it reflects a vision of Dean Custis Maglaris, where he wants to bring together the different Columbia University schools and begin to apply theory to practice in the curriculum. We sat down with business student Michael Rodeo and engineering student Sanjana Rosario, as well as professors Daniel Guetta and Brett Martin, who lead this class. As a group, we spoke about what it's like for students with pretty different backgrounds and skills to come together and dig deep into a company's real-life data and how these two professors teach a class with so many unknowns to guide students to solve real-time business problems. I'm Fahad Ahmed, and this is Columbia BizCast. Everyone, thanks really so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Great to be here. Brett, Analytics in Action is a course that you're very fundamental in starting. So really to set the stage here, why don't you tell us what is the course? When did it start? How did it all come about? Yeah, so Analytics in Action is a masterclass where we pair MBAs and engineering students with companies from startups to big companies like Viacom, Citigroup, Moody's Analytics to work on real-life data science problems. It's really a lot of workshopping, brainstorming, problem-solving, and guest lectures from practitioners in, in the field. We started the class three years ago when Costas, who is the head of the DRO department, now the dean of the business school, basically asked me, you know, what would an applied analytics class look like? And so we ran a pilot, and now we're three years into it, and brought on uh, my co-instructor, Daniel, here two years ago. Daniel, tell us why is it so important that the class be made up of both MBAs and engineers? Because that is a unique part of this course. Yeah, absolutely. I would say not just important, it's almost the raison d'etre of the class, right? Um, you know, I think anyone who's heard Dean McLaris and you, Dean, talk about his vision for business education wouldn't be surprised by this. Uh, one thing that I've heard him say again and again is the extent to which in the future, MBAs won't just be sitting in a room with MBAs. Engineers won't just be sitting in a room with engineers. The way the world is going is far more diverse in many dimensions. And one of those dimensions, uh, certainly in the world of work, is working MBAs, working with engineers, working with psychologists, working with people from all kinds of disciplines. And that's really what we want to emulate in this class. And it's just so important for so many reasons, you know. First of all, when it comes to the skill sets, the skill set that an engineer will have versus the skill set an MBA will have is pretty different. One might skew more technical, the other one might skew more high level. The way they can kind of work together, each provide that value, work with each other, learn from each other is, you know, something that we find incredibly useful. And as I say, in some ways that, you know, is almost the most important part of the class for us. Brett, you mentioned the idea that you're bringing in real companies here, real world problems, real time problems. Why is this so important? Tried and true case studies often give the false impression that there's a clear or obvious answer, right? And the truth is much more messy. Basically, case studies are good for showcasing kind of a principle of things or highlight, highlighting the essence of it, but they pair away the, the messiness. They pair away the hard work, the, the pedestrian labor of getting all the data and the answers and the permissions that you need. And the, and the uncertainty even, right? Because in a case study, the point of the case study is to teach you X, you know that X will solve the problem. In this class, who knows? 
you don't even know if X is there. The, right. the, fa the fact is, there might not even be an answer to the question being posed. And do you guys like that surprise nature of the course? Love-hate relationship, what can okay. I say? There's, you know, pros and cons, if, I, if I'm going to be honest. Mostly pros. I mean, it's so... It definitely makes it harder. It definitely makes it more work on our part because, you know, expect unexpected. Everything is new. But on the other hand, it's just so exciting to be so close to actually delivering value, right? It's not just trying to mold a certain problem into what we want to teach. The problem is kind of front and center, and there's something really exciting about that. I mean, my day job is an early, I'm an early stage venture capitalist. So I pretty much work in a gray zone every day, every hour. So this is <laughs> For him, this is the most here. certain part of his day. So, you know, it's... <laughs> I want to turn to our students here. So, Michael, you're uh, here, MBA student at the business school. That's right. And Sanjana, you're at the engineering school as a graduate student, correct? Yes. yes. Why did you, as an engineering student, want to do this crossover class and take a class with the business school? I spent my first couple of semesters learning a lot of theory behind uh, the data science. I think that when working with companies or when being interviewed, as Brett mentioned, there's a lot of ambiguity, a lot of how the project progresses depends on how you define it and how you drive it. And I think I was looking to learn just that. And Michael? Sure. So I came to Columbia Business School somewhat ironically wanting to develop, to develop my technical skill set. I used to be a journalist. Um, I have a music degree from my undergraduate degree. And in the spring and in the summer, I was working at Talkspace, just a startup here in New York City. My day-to-day -day job, I was communicating with data scientists and then engineers and then product managers and then therapists. And so the most challenging aspect of that work, which I very much enjoy, is not any one particular skill set, but the synthesis of it. And so that synthesis training was what really attracted me to the course. I was looking at the curriculum and there's a bunch of skill sets that you require in the way of prerequisites. One is managerial statistics. Every student has to take it. Business analytics, every student has to take, take it. But then I was surprised to see that you guys have also added introduction to programming using Python. Mm. What do you want to tell me why? So for a different class that I teach, I was interviewing TAs and I said, you know, why, why are you taking so many programming classes? And this young woman said to me, she said, well, Python is to my generation what Excel was to yours. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I stopped for a second and I thought, well, that dates me, but I completely, I completely agree. <laughs> and, and, you know, that is the new, the new tool. It's hard to get a lot out of the class if you can't actually touch the data yourself, right? It's, it's very different touching the data secondhand by an engineer or by someone who does know Python and being able to work with it yourself. So, you know, I think the thinking behind making Python a prereq is to make sure that you can touch the data if you want. You can get sort of a little bit into it. And that's practically. A, a function of the, the ultimate purpose of the class, which right. is to deliver value to our clients. With data. So, so, sort of, yeah. so un, unlike other classes where it's like, okay, you know, if people didn't learn, you know, that, was, that was the cost and that's really on them. In this case, we're on the hook with these big companies to deliver some value. Has it been difficult to get companies? Well... So given what we said in the beginning, which is, well, the answer might not even be there, right? So in, in one sense, you might think it's a tough pitch to say, hey, you're going to work, provide data a technical liaison and to work with our students for 12 weeks, and you might not even get an answer to your question. Um, 
but what I can say is that the forward-looking companies, they realize that this is the best possible tried before you buy scenario you, you could possibly have, right? Like students might be great test takers and terrible in a real life work environment, but here you, you have, you know, not, it's not even a simulation, it's an actual problem. You get to see how people think, how they respond to adversity. And I can say that without a doubt, you know, the best student groups might not answer the question posed, but they will definitely provide some sort of value and mm. enlighten the company in some, in some way. We set a really, really high bar when it comes to the companies we let into the class. We kind of insist when a company comes and takes analytics in action, it has to be at the very center of their value proposition. So Brett, this is your third year and uh, Daniel, this is your second year doing it. Have you both seen a mindset that the engineers bring in a focus on their perspective that, you know, really puts them on opposite sides, if you will? One surprising thing that I find in this class is I think the MBAs come in really wanting to learn data science. And so sometimes actually they get a little stuck in the weeds of the, the math of it and the tooling of it. And they're so excited by the power of the, the tools that they're being, they're learning that, you know, they actually kind of forget a lot of the business training and really, you know, get lost in the weeds. And, and surprisingly, a lot of the engineers who come to the class actually are there for example, as John has said, they're there to learn, you know, the project management. They're, learn, they're there to learn how to go end to end. And actually what I think happens is actually the students teach each other so much. I, I hear frequently from the engineers that they're learning, you know, they love working with these MBAs. They're so organized. They're putting together such good itineraries and plans. And the same from the MBAs saying, wow, you know, I've learned so much from my peers, engineers, about data science way more than I ever could have picked up, you know, in a class or reading. You know, and I think to the extent that there's any friction, I mean, I found in some ways that the teams that have grown the most and learned the most, they were really having trouble meshing together as a team of MBA and engineers. Um, and they were, I think, one of the more successful teams, not the most successful team in that year's class in the end, because they really spent the time working through those issues. And I think, you know, this idea of team dynamics is one thing that, you know, there is the technical stuff. And as Brett says, most of the MBAs I've seen, I've been blown away at how willing they are to just get their hands dirty. The real sort of place where I think, you know, you really get a lot of growth is the idea of sort of these team dynamics, working together with people from sort of, you know, the opposite polarity, so to say. Uh, well, it brings up a great point for the two of you, the students here. When you're put together in these groups, and, and you know, Sinchan, we'll start with you, what's your mindset like? Because you, you're both enrolling in a class with a lot of variables, right? You know your skill set, but you know you're going to be in this group with people who have different skill sets than mm -hmm. you. You're going into a project that is completely unknown, and really you are finding the solution from it. So when you enter it, what's your mindset? The mindset when you put an MBA student and an engineer together is you always, you go in with these predefined territories of, of work that you think the other person's going to take on and that you think you're going to take on that that ends up changing across the, <laughs> the course of this, um, the project. I was going to piggyback off what Sanjana, like I said, and I think part of our role, Brett and I, that we take very seriously is precisely to 
slightly encourage every student and every team to kind of go slightly outside their groove. So to say, well, maybe, you know, this job is maybe more of an MBA kind of job. Why don't sort of, you know, you do it, Sanjana. This job is more of an engineering job. Maybe Michael do it. I can remember a specific meeting where I suggested something and Sanjana's face fell and I knew that's it. That's, you know, that's, that's the one. Uh, so, you know, that's also a job, I think, to try and gently encourage uh, that to happen within, you know, everyone's And, and by gently encourage, you mean ruthless cold calling. And... Well... <laughs> Well, it brings up a great point because when and you you both invited me and then thank you again for inviting me to shadow a class of yours. And what I noticed is that you both really encourage students to explore uh, and probe different techniques, different solutions, different analytical uh, analytical models that might be out there. What's the purpose behind this? At the end of the day, the bottom line is you want to get value for the companies we're working with, and you know. However cool a method sounds, however great a method looks, however much you know read an article about it and you really want to try it out, if it's not going to deliver value, it just doesn't good, matter. Yeah. And so I think a lot of what we try and do when we sort of uh, uh, you know encourage teams to consider new techniques, new methods, is to say, look, you know this method might be the most obvious one or might be the first thing that comes to mind. Is it actually going to deliver the kind of value you want? And if not, why don't we try something else? And what makes it so challenging here is I think, you know, as we mentioned earlier on, we have a massive range of companies. We go from small startups to nonprofits to large companies. And so the kind of value you need to deliver to, let's say, a nonprofit versus to a large corporation that just wants to sort of make money, those are very different kinds of values. And so it's sort of, you know, a question of us working with the students, uh, you know, figuring out the best technique. And the last thing I'll say that certainly is very gratifying to me is as we begin the semester, Brett and I are definitely the experts. It's more sort of, you know, lecturing to them and being like, all right, you know, we see this project, we know more than you. By the time we get to the end of the semester, they know way more about their projects than we do because, you know, we're in charge of eight, nine, whatever many projects we have, as opposed to they know their own. And so that really is uh, very gratifying as we sort of move through the, the semester. And in that sense, our role is really that of coach, I, mm. I think, more than anything. And this is a really fun part for me is that it, it's it's like SWAT consulting. Basically, come in. Yeah. What's the state? Of, what's the state of the project? Where are we at? Where are we blocked? And then, kind of working with the students to get them to see a path to see a path forward. It's interesting here. In some ways, you know, when you think about it, there's three constituencies almost: as the company, the students, and us. Mm -hmm. And it's actually a very interesting sort of juggling act almost. I think some of the most impactful projects are ones where the company thinks they need I don't know uh, build some sort of dashboard. And then the students actually figure out, based on the company's business model, yeah. you guys don't need a dashboard to show this. You actually need to figure out which of your customers are going to churn because, hey, yeah. you're losing half of your custom population every year. And so that also is a really uh, cool process to, uh, to go through. So, Sanjana, how have you personally changed your communication style? So my communication style earlier was very, you're either communicating to an audience that knows all of your technical jargon or you're communicating um, to maybe your professor who also knows all of your technical jargon, or you're just doing it by yourself. Yeah. Um, so I tended to work in a sort of black box where it's it's a very I'll get it done attitude. Don't ask me how. But, <laughs> <laughs> but as you're collaborating with um, with students on your team, I've had to develop a skill where I manage to communicate what it is that I'm doing, but without rambling. I think if someone came across in, in class, the first couple of classes and asked me how we were going to approach a problem, I'd go on a on a five minute like spiel about about what I'm going to be, like what the numerator is, what the denominator is, etc. But to be able to communicate what you're doing extremely concisely and, and in a very general 
manner but but also effectively is is something that i've had to develop over this course and this is something we specifically mm -hmm. drill in class so every class we ask someone from each team assigned randomly actually so everyone on the team gets the cold call get, get, gets the, gets their uh, opportunity to you know communicate their week's work in 45 seconds mm -hmm. and i mean these teams are doing a lot of work over the course right. of the week, and so they have to distill it down. And it's not just a recitation of what they did so much as what's the value that they produced. That particular practice, the 45-second cold calls, has already become one of the most valuable skills in my arsenal. I think coming into this class, of any skill set that I would have bet on for myself, it would have been communication. I'm coming out of a communication background. That's my profession. <clears throat> it is so difficult to walk into a meeting with your boss at work and to really deliver exactly what your boss needs to know in 45 seconds. Especially when the instinct is to talk about how you did what you mm. did rather than the answer is 42. Did you notice a difference between what skills you thought you needed to work on the beginning of the course and what skills you ultimately find yourself building by the end of the course? I thought I was going to really need to beef up on my Python ability. Instead, the skill of trusting the other folks on your team to really knock it out of the park is valuable. The success in another person's hands concept. I didn't really need to get that much better at Python because we have two awesome engineers on our team who, who are incredible at it. And I think creating that kind of psychological safety in a team is important. One of the trickiest parts for, I think, ambitious young students is, is when the answer isn't there and they have to come to terms with that and come to grips with that and then realize, you know, what to do next. So the way that the class teaches emotional resilience um, is one of my favorite parts of mm -hmm. it. And watching students work on this together to say, okay, we didn't get the data set we wanted. We, we felt like we were promised, you know, this clean data set. And then you, we, we see this every course, right? Because we tell people, hey, you're going to get data. It's not going to be what you need. And then they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it happens. And then they realize, wow, you know, we can either sit here with our hands in our pockets and say, oh, we didn't get what we needed to create value. Or we can come up with new solutions. So pulling in new, pulling in new data sets, coming up with a new argument to the client for why they should give them the information that they, that they need, completely changing the scope of the problem. This is the type of challenge that I think having like a broad, diverse set of experiences yeah. and more diverse teams have more options and they've seen, and they have more, they have more potential ways of responding than folks that are kind of modeling. Mm. Normal classes, they have, you know, the set schedule, you have the demands of that class, you have the demands of the other class. But in this situation, you're adding a demand, you're adding pressure with the company's priorities and the company's demands as well. Mm. Is that a value add? Is that, listen, guys, this is what real life is. That you're going to have pressure coming from all different places. Get used to it. I think we're honest with students from day one that that this is hard. Uh, you know, this is <clears throat> this class is going to be a lot of hard work, and I think we're also honest that you get as much out of it, you know, as you put in. And I think that's something we definitely see. I, I guess a big regret of mine is that it's you know so short. There's definitely something that 
however hard people work, I mean, it, it, it just ends before it begins. That's how it feels. And I think we try our best to scare people away. Right? <laughs> I mean, we say in, in the core, in the syllabus, we say it's a ton of work. Folks have to sign a, a master's class pledge, which is basically yeah. saying, I'm, I will I acknowledge that this is going to be extra work. Um, but again, I think people get what they put into it. It's like, it's, like a, it's like a piece of paper that literally just says, I solemnly swear that I will try hard in this class, but, and you have to sign it. But even with this pressure that we're talking about, valuable experience for you, Sanjana? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah? Yeah. Michael? Yeah, 100%. Really? I, we didn't pay them to say that. <laughs> yeah. Just putting that out there. I, I've said this before to some of my friends and some of my classmates. I work on this stuff at school, and then I go to my part-time job and I apply the same skills. Sanjana, for your fellow engineering students, would you recommend this to them? I definitely would. I feel like I've my biggest value from this class very specifically has been to have this almost formulaic approach to solving any problem in life. And that's come with weeks of posing and communicating your your updates and your project. Like I think with any project that I take on now, I have this. What would Daniel and Brett say? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. oh, and it sort that's of just useful. like answers, <laughs> and the solution just presents itself. So I would, I would definitely recommend taking this class. Well, Brett, let's give you the last word here. What's the one thing you want students to take away when they take when they take this class? At the risk of being a hammer in the world, looking like a nail, I'm an entrepreneur. That's my main job, and now a venture capitalist. And so, one of my favorite definitions for entrepreneurship is the pursuit of opportunity without regard for resources currently controlled. And I think about this class as being like a perfect microcosm of that, which is like, okay, you know, here's an, here's an opportunity, but we don't have what we need. How are we going to solve the problem regardless? And so I would hope that whether it's in, you know, data science projects or, or other pursuits in life, that they take that mentality of it doesn't matter what I have today, I can get what I want if I take the right actions. That's great. Thank you so much cool. for okay. doing this. Thank this you. is a lot of fun for Thanks me. For I hope us. it was as fun for you. It was. And I really here. appreciate it. That's our episode, folks. Many thanks to Professors Daniel Guetta and Brett Martin, and to students Sanjana Rosario and Michael Rodeo for sharing their experience. What's your experience working cross-departmentally? Please tell us. We'd love to hear about it and possibly share your story as part of a future episode. You can email us at bizcast at gsb.columbia.edu or find us on Instagram and Twitter where we are at Columbia underscore biz. New episodes of Columbia BizCast are released every other Thursday. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss out. Until next time.